And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. Good day, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Manufacturing Matters. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host for this series on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is the series where we dive deeply and um, widely into what is going on in the U.S. manufacturing sector. We pay attention to the headlines. We pay attention to them very closely. We look at what's happening in economics and politics. But we have to get much deeper than that these days. There are so many structural changes occurring in U.S. manufacturing that is tied to global manufacturing that we have to be very smart, very intellectual. And on that score, the key word for this show is new, new science, new technology, new economic thinking. And we're going to let our listeners know how all of that contributes to a new manufacturing story in the United States and around the world. In our earliest episodes at the beginning of this year, we had guests who talked to us about the big structural changes that are happening in manufacturing, technological disruption. We are in a fascinating period for new technologies. We are in a fascinating period, as everyone knows, for changes in global thinking. Trade tensions are going to have major impacts on manufacturing. In the episode since we talked about those big changes. I have tried to bring those themes down to the industry level. And we've talked to Kevin Swift about chemicals. We've talked to Tim Gill about iron and steel. We've talked to Haig Stoddard about autos. Today's episode is going to be another industry look, and it's in an industry that is so integrated with so many manufacturing supply chains and is so important to so many products that it's hard to think about plastics as being anything integral, but integral to the health of the manufacturing sector, and we're going to look at the plastics industry. I am delighted to welcome my distinguished guest. As the chief economist of the Plastics Industry Association, Perk Panetta serves as the organization's primary staff expert on economics, statistics, and industry research. His views on the economy have been widely quoted in the media, and his works have been published in peer-reviewed economic and trade journal. Perpineta received his Doctor of Philosophy and Master of Philosophy in Economics from the very, very well-regarded New School of Social Research in New York, New York. He also holds a Master of Arts in Economics from American University here in Washington, D.C., and a Master in International Management from the University of Maryland. Before joining the Plastics Industry Association, Perk Panetta was the senior economist of the Credit Union National Association, where he tracked macroeconomic trends, conducted economic research, wrote articles for industry publications, and interfaced with the media. His over 20 years of experience includes academia, international financial institutions, and trade association work. As an economics professor, he taught macroeconomics at the St. Francis College in New York and microeconomics, finance, and the economics of regulation and the law at the City University of New York. Prior to a stint in academia, he was at the International Monetary Fund and the U.S. Dairy Export Council working on market access and regulatory 
affairs. We couldn't possibly have a better guest for this complex and industry, uh, complex and interesting industry. Perk, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cliff. I'm glad to be in your show. It is our pleasure to have you. Let, let, let's let's start. Let's start with the way I always start in talking about industries, which is linking it to what's going on with the broad manufacturing, the broad U.S. manufacturing sector. As we all know all too well, overall the U.S. manufacturing sector has struggled. It has struggled to recover from the Great Recession. Hard to believe that was a decade ago. Manufacturing growth did pick up modestly in 2017 and 2018, but output remarkably still remains below the pre-recession, that is December 2007, peak. Let me ask, with plastics so very integrated into many manufacturing supply chains, what is the recovery and growth situation in plastics manufacturing? Well, if we start by looking at industrial production of plastics, it uh, peaked in April of 2006, and then it went down and bottomed in May 2009, consistent with what you just mentioned, that overall U.S. manufacturing sector struggled um, after the Great Recession. And since then, since the end of the Great Recession, industrial production in plastics has actually increased 34.7%. But that is still 5.3% lower than its peak in April 2006 before the Great Recession. But we have seen the growth in plastics manufacturing has been upward trending since. And this is somewhat in sync with the total manufacturing environment in the United States. That is, output has continued to increase despite and employment in manufacturing that has been lower than previous years. And I think it's no secret that the uh, number of workers in U.S. manufacturing fell dramatically at the start of the recession in March 2001, even that recession before the Great Recession, and that was from 16.8 million workers in manufacturing industry. And then the downward trend continued thereafter and bottomed once again in March of 2010 to about 11.5 million. And it has continued to increase since then, though. And in March, that number increased to 12.8 million. And so there is modest pickup in manufacturing employment, and that is consistent with the modest rise in manufacturing growth. In our industry specifically, if we disentangle the plastics industry into four categories, namely plastics materials and resin, uh, if you go then into plastics products manufacturing, if you look at plastics machinery and molds for plastic, we can see that the growth in these four sectors in the plastics industry has been uneven. Um, you would imagine that the plastics materials and resin segment of the industry has been growing faster than the other sectors due to lower natural gas prices and the resurgence of fracking in recent years, which is really the source of U.S. plastics industry uh, feedstocks, while the other segments hasn't been growing that fast. 
but it continues to be a challenge for the industry, and I think that's also the same case with manufacturing, that we're slowly moving uh, upward in terms of our output, in terms of an employment, but I would have to agree with you, definitely we're not at the previous highs. Well, I find that everybody is very appreciative of thinking a little ahead these days, trying to get past this period. So let me do that with you. In the years to come, do you see the the broad plastics industry sector as being a growth catalyst for the overall manufacturing sector, or is it more concurrent, or is it more of a follower? What's your guess on that in the years to come? My guess in the years to come is uh, it would be both. I mean, I know people tend to hate an answer that says yes and no, but I would argue that the plastics industry is actually both. For example, using more plastics in automobile reduces vehicle weight. And if you're able to reduce vehicle weight by, let's say, 10%, it can improve fuel economy of the vehicle by 6 to 8%. And so there is this some sort of a feedback uh, loop mechanism between plastics as a material and the other end markets that plastic serves. And today, for example, plastics typically make up 50% of the volume of the new vehicles, but less than 10% of its weight. And so if you move from automobile production, and let's say let's go now to the healthcare sector, which is also another end market for plastics, the new materials that are being tested and innovated every time and that's heavily regulated offers a lot of opportunities for new products and innovation in the healthcare healthcare space. And in fact, if I might say so, one of the biggest achievements in the 20th century is actually the increase in life expectancy. And one of the reasons why we have that is because we found ways of uh, limiting um, uh, the spread of infectious diseases. And that's why we have single-use plastic products in the healthcare sector. A classic example is a blood bag, for example. And so there are a lot of all these needs in, the indus- in other industries that plastics can actually respond. But at the same time, the developments in plastic materials, for example, engineered resins or composites, meaning plastics that are combined with other materials, offers a lot of opportunities for different kinds of businesses from the design part of it, from the durability part of it, from the rigidity part of it, that I think really uh, the short answer to your question would be plastics really is both a catalyst and a follower in various industries in the manufacturing sector of the United States. Well, you spoke very eloquently about Plastics is being a, <clears throat> an important contributor to innovation in key sectors such as such as healthcare, which is such a an, an important area given the de- demographics of global populations these days. But let, let me just ask you about innovation in uh, in plastics materials themselves. I mean, wh- what's happening with the the chemistry and the physical chemistry of of uh, of plastics innovation. Anything new, anything that uh, our audience uh, should know about? Well, I guess a a good way to start is by saying that plastics plastics use are undeniably beneficial 
from plastics packaging that offer convenience to life vests that are saving lives, particularly kids during summer season, to medical equipment and supplies, as I've mentioned earlier, and also applications in auto parts and materials. And I think the future of plastics really has just begun. Um, one of the driving forces of uh, innovation in the plastics industry at the moment is sustainability concerns. Um, we at the Plastics Industry Association encourage all of our companies to engage in plastics manufacturing to make sustainability a guiding principle at levels of operation, and that means conducting business in a way that seeks to drive value creation for society, the environment, and the industry. And a lot of innovations in plastics industry are in response to both changes in end markets and sustainability concerns. One good example that I could actually give you is the luxury vinyl tile, or we call it LVT in the industry. And it's an environmentally friendly um, flooring material made of recycled materials, 25%, for example, post-consumer recycled material, and 20% post-industrial recycled material. And so if we use more of these products in the housing um, industry, we would probably save money because they, they cost less. At the same time, we don't need to cut all these trees for wooden flooring. Um, in the automotive space, as I've mentioned earlier, some of the materials, such as nylon, which is the oldest and the most established of the polymers in the chemical space, are widely used around the world. And at the moment, original equipment manufacturers are testing a variety of materials for its application in electric vehicles, because I think that's really where the future is going in addition to autonomous driving vehicles. And plastics works well with other materials such as steel. Uh, steel provides strength and rigidity. Plastic easily molds over it into shapes that can lead to parts consolidation. And so that really reduces assembly costs and at the same time it helps make manufacturing in the U.S. more profitable and in the end, we sh all of those should be contributing to higher uh, increases in manufacturing output in the U.S. economy. Well, of course, um, beyond product innovation, an even bigger story for manufacturing as a whole, as a whole is process, process technologies, very disruptive process technologies. I'm sure our listeners are aware and every week you read about a new generation of robots, a new generation of 3D printing, a new generation of, of, of you know, some, some technique that is going to change the very way that things are produced. So let me ask you about process technologies for basic plastics production. Is, is there a lot of dynamism in, in that story these days? Oh, yes, there's a lot of dynamism. Um, process innovation continues in the plastics industry, and it's alive and well, and it's actually kicking, and it's moving in a higher gear, so to speak. The industry is definitely not a laggard when it comes to innovation, and, of course, it would vary across the board considering how large indus the industry is with over 15,000 establishments. I would say that the industry is between what we might consider the early adopters to process innovation to about the peak of early majority of the process innovation. 
there is so much talk about manufacturing 4.0, smart manufacturing, I mean industry 4.0 rather and rather and smart manufacturing. There's so much talk about AI and um, if you look at the employment in manufacturing in the United States that has been lower in recent years compared to the previous years, but if you look at manufacturing output, it has increased by more than the increase in employment. So that tells us that we have been using automation and mechanization. The new buzzword, well, it's not really new, but it's getting more and more common rather. There is so much talk on AI or artificial intelligence. However, in my personal opinion, for AI really to take off, and not just limited in use by large companies. And by the way, there are different levels of AI. Uh, you could apply it simply for quality checks, uh, maintenance, faster or more reliable design, et cetera, et cetera. But for AI really to be uh, commonly adopted across the board in U.S. manufacturing and only in plastics, it needs to stand on four pillars, namely what I would call data, um, recurrent, reliable source of data. You need computing strength. Uh, you need applications that would work with the data and computing strength. And more importantly, we need talent. Uh, there, is, uh, there are issues in the manufacturing sector in the United States at the moment of workforce development and a shortage of talent in the manufacturing sector. And in fact, if we have to adopt artificial intelligence in the manufacturing sector, we would also be faced with uh, AI uh, talented workforce. And so the demand for AI talent, based on what I've read last month, has more than doubled in the past three years. And so for this really to take off and we become process innovators, top-notch, cutting-edge, um, we really also need more talent in our labor force that are um, knowledgeable on all these kinds of things that would make AR, um, AI work. Okay, so in plastics, we clearly have a dynamic story in product innovation. We clearly have a dynamic story in process innovation. That tells me that we, sh in this disruptive, positively disruptive period, we should see new players in the market. Yet in so many industries, both in and out of manufacturing, concentration is a concern. It's something that more and more economists are thinking about and writing about. So let me ask you, is market concentration in plastics manufacturing, broad plastics manufacturing, prohibitive of healthy, market-disrupting entrepreneurship? I would say no. Um, I don't think it's a secret that employment concentration, for example, in the plastics industry uh, are concentrated in the top five states, Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Wisconsin. But if you look at the whole industry throughout the supply chain, there's so much concentration in other areas depending on the activity in the plastics industry, for example. Plastics and materials and resins are concentrated in Texas. Um, I would say that considering that transportation and communication infrastructure in the United States are not um, 
Well, we compare to other countries, we've been criticized it's not as good as other countries, but it's not a third world level either. And so we have reliable transportation communication infrastructure in the United States. So I think the concentration is not a deterrent to market disrupting entrepreneurship in the plastics industry. One of the things, though, that I have been noticing is there is a lot of interest in the U.S. plastics industry from companies outside of the United States. For example, there are Japanese, uh, there are Chinese rather uh, companies who are planning to build plastics recycling facilities in this country, and that is as a result of the um, uh, recycled plastics ban in in China. And so, a lot of the recyclers in China are looking for other countries where they could establish recycling facilities, and one of the countries they're looking at is the United States. There are also other companies that are coming into this country from other countries, specifically because we have lower resin prices. It is that's what's giving us um, cost advantage at the moment. So being close to these areas where there is so much supply of resin, reliable transportation, is just a natural cause for this concentration of industries. But by and large, I don't really think that the concentration is um, a, a disruptor in terms of entrepreneurship. Uh, uh, and in fact, it should encourage other people, uh, other businesses rather, to go into the industry and disrupt it knowing that there is reliable supply chain from materials to labor to delivery in all these areas where there is concentration. You brought up before human capital and of course the workforce is so critical for U.S. manufacturing competitiveness. So I'm going to ask, can you give our listeners a picture of the plastics manufacturing workforce? Is this a a particularly educated labor force? Would you say there there is a human capital deficit in plastics? Paint the picture of, of plastics manufacturing workers, if you would. Well, if we look at uh, data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the unemployment rate in plastics, and if we include rubber manufacturing there in March, was 4%. And the average hourly earnings, for example, would be around $23, uh, $23.39 to be exact, based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, data. The labor, the workforce in the plastics industry is a combination of chemists, engineers, technically adept workforce, uh, a workforce that has uh, trade skills, and um, so it's a workforce that's actually diverse and covers a lot of uh, disciplines, and so it's not strictly highly educated, and it's not strictly um, uh, Unskilled workers, for example, it's a combination of both. One of the challenges that the U.S. manufacturing sector is facing at the moment is really workforce development. Fewer and fewer um, college graduates would like to go to the manufacturing sector. If you look at our industry, the median age of our workers is 43 years old. So that's And that's roughly 24% of the workforce in the plastics industry are within the 45 to 54 year old age group. And then if you look at the 20 to 24 year olds, that's about 8.2% of the total plastics workforce. So that it really tells you that there's a labor deficit, particularly of new entrants into the industry, 
because those who are in their 43s and in their 54s, in 20, 10, 20 years, they would retire and we need to replenish these workers. We could think of the plastics industry, as I said, as an industry of chemists and engineers, particularly that uh, in the future with automation, a lot of processes and a lot of uh, digitalization and mechanization, all those things would even increase, and so we need more technically skilled workforce. I wouldn't be surprised if the next question in the U.S. manufacturing industry in the coming few years would be, as an industrial engineer or as a mechanical engineer, can you troubleshoot, let's say, Alexa? Because a lot of all this automation will be more common in the industry. So finding technically adept workforce has been an ongoing challenge in the industry. Uh, workforce development is a huge issue in U.S. manufacturing. And if you look at the data, the number of workers in manufacturing declined, as I said, but manufacturing output continued to increase. This can only be because of mechanization and automation. Now, as if technological disruption and geopolitical slash trade disruption <clears throat> were not enough, we have what I am increasingly calling demographic disruption, aging populations, populations moving from rural areas to urban areas. Demographics used to be somewhat of an academic discipline, but as I often tell audiences when I speak, demographics is now. I would imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that plastics demand, basic broad plastics demand, has at least some relationship to household formation. So many consumer products have such a large plastic component. And household formations, as we all know, are being strained, certainly in the advanced world, and to some extent the developing world, by falling fertility rates and falling birth rates. Let me ask you, are demographic shifts, these demographic shifts, a key concern for the long-term profitability of broad plastics manufacturing? I would say that demographic shifts is definitely a key concern of plastics manufacturing, whether or not it would dramatically alter profitability is a different story. And let me say that, uh, let me clarify that in the following way. Um, what makes plastics unique is its broad-based applications. And the industry would actually benefit with aging population. As population ages, healthcare expenditures are higher. And as I've mentioned previously, plastics play a role in healthcare, and it's critical. And for cost reasons, plastics make healthcare more affordable. And also, for the same technological reasons, it is important to have plastics in the healthcare sectors. So, in terms of aging population, the demand for plastics will be there. However, if you look at plastics in home building, we're talking about floors, uh, pipes, cabling, skylights, entry doors, you name it. So the sector of the market will always be affected by household formation. Uh, and so the demand there would probably be uh, slowing down if household formation continues to uh, diminish, so to speak. But in terms of profitability, since there's a stable relationship between 
um, and, and I would argue in the long run, the relationship between retail sales and plastic shipments, and also plastic shipments and manufacturing, the demand for plastics is not going to go away, but the profitability will probably continue to depend on the macroeconomic conditions and changes in personal consumption expenditure that would affect the industry's uh, profitability. But by and large, I would have to agree with you that um, low household formations is not good for the economy in the long term. Low birth rate is not good for the economy in the long term because it has ramifications throughout the manufacturing sector and demographic shifts as well. But as far as our industry is concerned, we have a broad reach and we have products that actually address this issues, be it healthcare, transportation, home building, packaging, um, and you name it, and plastics is readily available to serve whatever the changing needs of the economy is going to be in the future. Herb Panetta, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Cliff. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to continue to do this. We are going to continue to bring the broad themes of this very volatile time, technological change, geopolitical stress, demographic change, and we're going to have many more episodes on industry sectors, and we're going to start a series of episodes looking at different parts of the country and how they interact with industry changes. Until then, this is Cliff Waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.